So a couple of things before I really get into this. Because I have the mic, um, I want to introduce my sister, Melissa, who's here from Seattle. She's staying just the weekend with us, but it's been wonderful. Um, she's also known as Auntie Mia, so she answers to them as well. It's been great to have family here. Um, so today, we're going to be talking about church. It's kind of a funny thing since we're in church, we're doing it. So obviously, that means something to you somewhere. Um, this has meant a lot to me over the past couple of years, especially. So um, you all, well, hopefully you all have heard somewhere about the slow food movement. And it is basically where you pay attention to where your food comes from, who makes it, um, what you're eating, who you're eating it with. You kind of involve all of your senses into it. And it's, uh, it's all over the nation. And it was in response to our fast food mentality that we have towards food, but also kind of towards life. And the people who have started this, the slow food movement, um, they say that it can bring about a revolution in the food industry, in the health industry, in small local cultures, in the environment, and in you and your family. There's also, um, I recently heard about slow TV. That was a new one to me. Started in Norway. Um, they broadcast seven hours of a train ride from the driver's view. Um, someone sleeping, a nap, just taking a nap, just show it. Um, uh, recently, the first time I heard about it was there was a lambing day in some place in Great Britain and they were just showing that on TV and just watched pictures, hours and hours of lambs being born. And it is, I think this is kind of built in us now. We have, we're seeing that this fast, quick, go, go, go mentality is wearing on us as, a, as families, as a church, as a community, as a nation. So um, another response to this is the slow church movement. I've seen this practiced in our own life back in Bellingham. Um, we, in general, we want to invite ourselves more into the picture of our lives. No matter how mundane, we want to be present. So this slow church movement, it's not new. It's revolutionary though. <laughs> Sorry about that. So my own story of church, my past experience in church, I've heard some of your, yours. Mine was not that extraordinary. Um, it was a smaller mega church, drew from miles around. It was lovely. Um, people could get involved if they wanted to, or they could waltz out the door if they wanted. Um, but beautiful things were done in the name of God. But I, I'm seeing now that churches like this are kind of falling by the wayside. Numbers are dwindling, and numbers are kind of how they gauge um, how things are going. Um, people are questioning more the authenticity of something like that. We want to see more of our lives involved in church. We want, we have a hunger for drawing up around a table like we do on every other Sunday night to share stories, to experience something bigger than ourselves, something that can change our world and something that we're also not afraid to ask the big questions while we're there. So this slow church movement, it also could be called a parish movement. Um, the parish movement is a, well, the word parish is an old Catholic term. came from, uh, well, it's used to define the neighborhood each church ministered to. So this slow church movement has a lot to do with your neighborhood, your specific neighborhood, where you live, and living in your place intentionally. 
Nazareth in the Bible, Jesus was often referred to as Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of a specific place, of a specific neighborhood. His entire ministry took place within about 30 miles, which is not very big compared to how we see the world now. Now in the verse from John earlier, the word is, oh there we are, um, is Jesus. And if you haven't, if you didn't figure that out, that's what he's talking about is Jesus. And he took flesh upon himself and moved into a neighborhood to bring about redemption, freedom, and to reconnect us with our humanness and with God. Oh, loud, okay, sorry. <laughs> um, so a couple of years ago, Jeremy and I had the opportunity to help start a church back in Bellingham, Washington. Um, we were a part of a, a larger church that, that had reached capacity, what they thought was capacity. So instead of starting another service, they um, asked a few families that were in one general area if they wanted to start a new church. And we thought that was a great idea. We met in homes when it made sense. We met throughout the week. We lived near each other, so it really wasn't out of the question for us to, to see someone from our church every single day. Now, I'm going to be using some examples from this church, but this was not a perfect church. We made plenty of mistakes along the way, but it's something that I'm familiar with, and so I'm going to share it with you. And I feel like we're, they were a few steps ahead of where we are now at Root and Branch. So I hope we can learn from this. So we saw each other um, at the, the coffee shop. We saw each other at the local bars. We saw each other at the grocery store, um, along the street, walking, everywhere. And, but we did this purposefully. We were trying to connect ourselves with our place, with our neighborhood, with our neighbors. So instead of the traditional hub and spoke way of living, living life, where you have home, and you go over here to work, and then you go over here to drop your kids off to where they play. And you work out over here, and you eat over here, and you dance over here, and it's very it's very um, uh, not put together, <laughs> what's the word? <laughs> um, so we, as a church, we tried to overlap as many of those things in one place as much as possible, in one geographical area in our parish. So it's not, a, it's not a perfect model, not, every, not everybody lived near, some people lived from further away, but they made this neighborhood, because it was part of our church, they made this neighborhood their focus. So it was definitely more of a mindset. And the goal was to share life together, to learn to love each other, and to establish a fabric of care that was an expression of our faith while learning to love our neighborhood and our neighbor, to work together with God in our neighborhood. So the Apostle Paul in Romans talks about one body, the church, but many parts. And these parts need to work together. They are very important, all of them. So as our church in Bellingham, we hoped to live integrated lives, not piecemealed, not own our, doing our own things all on our own, but together as one church, one body, and with the goal of bringing peace or shalom into the neighborhood with our neighbors, for our neighbors. So I believe that um, living purposefully, intentionally in one place is important for ind individuals as well as the church um, for a few reasons. First is our health. Um, living such fragmented lives has brought so much stress. And stress, I think, is one of the main health um, problems that we see in our, in our culture. So uh, the fragmentation as well as busyness. So living closer is uh, one, one answer to that. And there's an economic and civic impact that can happen when you are living in one place. 
um, the buy local movement. We've, we're all understanding more and more how important of a self-sustaining economy is, even on a small scale. Um, you get your skin in the game when you invest your time and your dollars with the people around you, and you are the one who is going to be reaping the consequences of this. Then social justice. When you are faithfully present in a place with all of you, with all of your senses, and your desire is to see the people in your neighborhood flourish, if you see an injustice, you are all of a sudden involved already in that story. You have a part to play in bringing peace. You have a part to play in bringing shalom. You know that person. You're, you're there. And it's the changes that can happen are not necessarily from the top down. You have the right to hope with those around you for change. So I've heard stories of neighborhoods of all socioeconomic statuses transformed when a small group, even just a small group of people, came into the neighborhood and decided to claim it as their own. Their what would Jesus do bracelets, I'm assuming you've all heard of those at some point or another, had nothing to do with a hypothetical standard of morality and everything to do with how they were present with their neighbors in their pain. They listened and just like Jesus did, they brought bits of heaven into the earthly hell they saw around them and lives and systems were changed. And that's power. So finally, relationship. And we're going to sit here for a few minutes. When you show up over and over with all that you are, when you are present, you build trust because of vulnerability. Brene Brown, um, she is a shame researcher, which seems like a really weird thing to research. But that's, she's a, so, uh, a social worker. She studied shame, which also led her to studying vulnerability. Um, if you have not read any of her stuff yet, I highly encourage you to. She has some amazing TED Talks and a few books out there that um, are absolutely fabulous. I can tell you more information about her later if you would like. She says that trust is a product of vulnerability. Now, if we as a church want to be more close-knit, it is not something that will happen because of one badass party like we had at Dorian's house the other day. Thank you very much for opening your home. It will take a moment after a small moment of us faithfully showing up for each other. And it's the same in our, in our neighborhood. So at this church in Bellingham, we had to relearn how to relate to one another. We couldn't hide because we saw each other all the time. We couldn't hide from our own destructive faults because of garage doors and space. We had to lean towards each other. We had to learn th about grace. We had to learn how to ask for help learn to trust in each other, learn to live like Jesus, learn to love each other. There is a couple in that church who, um, their teenage daughter was going through a very difficult time in her life. And because she was a teenage gal, she also didn't want her parents to have anything to do with her at this moment. And instead of her parents being able to step in and help her during this very serious, um, very serious time in her life. Everybody else from the church was able to gather around her. And those parents would say now that she is alive because of the community that stepped in, that wasn't afraid to go to her, to be with her, to ask, what can we do? And then to not necessarily do it right, but to be there with who they were. When Vinny was born, um, there was some complications, so we had to be in the hospital for a few weeks, and the hospital was an hour and a half away, and we also had an 18-month-old. 
it was a very trying time for our family. But at the same time, there were so many things that we did not have to worry about. Our church stepped in, our neighbors stepped in, people drove three hours one day, many, many people drove three hours over many days to bring us food, clothes, change of underwear, just to sit with us. They took care of Vera, we did not have to worry about her. But we had already set up this system of vulnerability and trust with one another. So we knew that we could trust, we knew that if we were vulnerable, it was a safe place. That was kind of hard for, for Jeremy and I at first. We wanted to, there were so many things that were out of our control. There was, we just wanted to have control over something, but we couldn't, that was not our place. We had to stand there with open hands and accept, and accept people being with us. And it was in those moments that I knew the generosity of God more than any other times. It was hard, we were exposed, we were vulnerable, but everybody was at some point or another. So relationships with your parish, with our community, take time. The metrics have now changed. Instead of stories, or instead of uh, how many people sit in the pews and how many Big Macs we sell, it is stories of wholeness and relationships. And a generous heaven brought into disease and into people's hell because relationship and faithful presence continually showing up. It takes time and it takes your whole self. So a few weeks, or next week, we're gonna be sharing stories and we hope that this is just another step of us to practice vulnerability with one another so that we can build trust as a church. So that we can, with our flesh and bones, be like Jesus, bring wholeness here within our community and then in the neighborhood too. So I want you to imagine with me what this church would look like if we intentionally spent more time together, if we intentionally tried to learn to love each other, the people next to you, that you're sitting next to right now. What do you think would happen if each of us as individuals spent intentional shalom, peace-seeking time in our neighborhoods? And although our context is different here than the church in Bellingham, because we don't necessarily live all in the same area, what would it look like if us as a church started becoming more involved in the church's neighborhood. So um, the pens and paper that you have, would you mind grabbing those out again? So I have two things I want you to write down and then we're gonna do something else. The first question I have for you is what is one thing that you regularly do right now in your life that you do outside of your neighborhood that you could potentially start doing inside your neighborhood? There's no right answer, just brainstorm a little bit. And then the second thing I want you to write is finish this sentence. Vulnerability is.
So now we're going to do something that we normally do on um, dinner church nights, but I thought it was really important for us to be able to talk together about this. I'm going to divide you up into groups of four or five, and I have a few more questions for you. Um, well, I guess just one. I want you to, to talk about your answers that you had as, for as much as you want to share. And then the next question is, how do you want to see Root and Branch engaging in your neighborhood, in our, sorry, in our neighborhood and within our community? How do, we, how do we see if we can be vulnerable with each other and what, let's see. <laughs> um, I want it to be more than just about questions about our neighborhood, but questions about ourselves. How can we see ourselves engaging more in Root and Branch? So, does that, do those topics make sense? Yeah. Okay, yes.